Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good morning. You may be seated. Thank you, Adam, worship team. I shared with the worship team beforehand that uh, the words of that song really capture what I am blessed to, to share with you in the next couple of weeks from Matthew 3 and 4. And you're going to see that I like props, and I like whiteboards and whatnot. So I brought a prop, courtesy of Cornerstone Christian Academy. Anybody know what this is? What's that? It does look like a kaleidoscope. It is a baton from the track team at Cornerstone. So I'm going to use this a couple times today. So I'm taking the baton of Matthew from Jesse, and I get to go the next two weeks of Matthew 3 and 4 and to continue this storyline of our king, the king of kings. Um, and I'm really excited to pick up that unfolding story with you. Uh, Jesse shared with us from Matthew 1 and 2, the ad, during Advent season, the arrival of King Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem. He's the promised kingly Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the promised one who went with his people into the exile in Babylon. And that message cannot be stopped. And it continues out. Now in Matthew 3 and 4, we're going to pick up with that storyline with Jesus as a grown man. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we can come before you today, that we are gathered here as your church, your local church at KBC. You have sent your son Jesus as the King of Kings into the world to rescue us from our sins, to restore to you a people to worship you. And we acknowledge right here now that none of us are worthy of that, and, and that, that's a good place to be, to see our own sinfulness. But to look away from ourselves and to look to the King who came to us in the muck and the mire of this world, in the muck and the mire of our own sin, and the struggles that we have in this world, and, and yet he left his throne in heaven of endless glory to come to a cradle in the dirt, to walk this earth, to be rejected by men, but to come down into this life for us and to share life and then to live it perfectly, and then to die on our behalf on the cross and to rise again and to ascend back to glory, and now we wait his coming again, and we are excited, and we want to follow you, and we want to be followers of you by growing Jesus' followers. We want to worship you today, and I pray as we dive into your word today that you would just bless us in our hearts, that you would transform us you would help us to love you even, even more than today and, and to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years ago, I was in my early 20s, I went uh, swimming with some friends to a public swimming pool. And this pool, um, I'd never seen, it, never seen it before in a public pool. They had an Olympic-sized diving board. And this thing was really, really high. I mean high, not just your normal diving board. It was high. And so we talked about jumping off of this thing. I thought, I want to do this. I'm going to climb up the ladder to that platform, and I'm going to jump off of that board. So I gathered up my courage, and I climbed the ladder all the way to the top, 
got on the platform, and I walked out on close to the diving board, and I looked down at the water, and I said, I'm not doing this. I am not doing this. This is crazy. So I turned around to walk back to the ladder and go down, and there standing behind me waiting to take his turn was a, a young boy about seven or eight years old. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm either going to walk past this brave boy and humiliate myself that way, or I'm going to turn around and jump off this board and hopefully survive the fall. So in that moment, I decided I'm going to do this. I turned, and I walked to the end of the diving board, and I jumped off, and probably flailing all the way down, I plunged into the water. And it felt good after it was all over. But I really think this is a picture of us entering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we enter into the kingdom of Jesus by turning from our sin, looking away from ourselves and looking to Jesus, the King, in childlike faith as our Lord and Savior. And we enter into the kingdom, and the King comes to dwell in us. That's a beautiful thing. What a glorious, mysterious reality. But if we are in this kingdom and the King lives in us, why do we still experience various kinds of hardship, pain, and suffering? If we belong to the king and he lives in us, why is life still so hard? How do we follow our king in the midst of this dark world? My hope and prayer as we explore Matthew 3 and 4 together is that we can find hope and comfort to walk through these things together and to follow Jesus together. So over the next two weeks, I'd like to focus on three main headings and application points from Matthew 3 and 4. Today, Matthew 3, 1 through 17, is the king comes for his people in the wilderness. Next week, Matthew 4, 1 to 11, the king goes to battle for his people. And Matthew 4, 12 to 25, the king builds his kingdom in and through his people. Now, when we talk about Jesus as the king of kings, it speaks to the fact that he has a kingdom, right? That seems obvious. The scriptures reveal, as we study them, that there is a now and a not yet aspect of this kingdom. And our understanding of this uh, is essential for us to be able to navigate life in all its complexities and our relationships with God and the people in our lives. Our view of and our reaction to our circumstances in life and decisions we need to make in our everyday lives. So the kingdom of God, in its simplest terms, can be thought of as the rule or the reign of God. And the word kingdom is used 162 times in the New Testament, 127 times in the Gospels, and 56 times in Matthew alone. Robert Stein writes about the dynamic of the kingdom now and not yet in the Baker's Theological Dictionary. He says, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the term kingdom, Malkut, and Basilia is understood as dynamic in nature and refers primarily to the rule or reign of a king. It is seldom used in a static sense to refer to a territory. As a result, in the vast majority of instances, it would be better to translate the expression kingdom of God as the rule of God. And understood as the reign of God, it is possible for Jesus to announce that in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, the reign of God has arrived. In Jesus' coming, Satan has been defeated. The outcasts of Israel are being gathered, as predicted, the Old Testament promises are fulfilled. The resurrection of the dead has begun. 
A new covenant has been inaugurated. The promised spirit has come as the prophets foretold. And indeed, the kingdom is already now realized in history. However, the consummation of the already now still lies in the future. The coming of the Son of Man, the final resurrection, faith turning to sight are not yet. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Thus, the kingdom of God is realized and present in one sense, and yet consistent and future in another. This is not a contradiction, but simply the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom has come in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. A new covenant has been established, but its final manifestation and consummation lie in the future. And until then, we are to be good and faithful servants. And Paul understood this reality and brings it down to a personal level for us in Colossians chapter 1. Listen to verses 13 and 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Something that's happened right now as we put our faith in Jesus. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in a moment of time, God transfers us from darkness to the kingdom of his son. And then later, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Colossians 1.27, he's talking about this mystery. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ the King in us in this very moment, in this room, is our hope. This is the kingdom now present among us, and yet the hope of seeing him face to face when he returns. So as believers, we are currently in this kingdom now, and the king is in us, and we are waiting for his kingdom that is not yet, but that will come one day come soon. We uh, took our family vacation trip at Thanksgiving time to Virginia to see Dawn's side of the family, and uh, about five minutes into the trip, I think it was, Matthew says, how many minutes till we get there? And I lost count at about 12 times of him asking this question. And um, we turned it into a math game eventually. By If it was two hours and 24 minutes, how many minutes is that? And actually surprised us one time he really came up with the, the answer to that. But, but we were in the car. That was our moment now. And we're traveling toward a destination to Grandma and Grandpa's house. That was our not yet. And so uh, Jesus is in us now. We're moving about in this world, but we're headed to that moment when he returns and we're with him in glory. So I'm bringing out my baton again. A baton is handed by one runner to another, correct, in a race. And each runner is is equally important. Think of this baton as the message of the king, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. This unfolding story was handed down by God to the Old Testament prophets, They handed it down to John the Baptist. John the Baptist handed it to Jesus himself. Jesus then hands it to his disciples. His disciples handed it to the people in their generation. That generation handed it to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, all the way down to us right now, and we hold this baton right now. This is amazing. We are blessed to take the baton of the message of the gospel of this kingdom to the world. So while we were praying, Michael was so kind to bring up this bit of... uh, this little kingdom timeline, storyline. I don't know if everybody can see it or not. I actually saw this when we were on vacation a few years ago in North Carolina in a little shop on a little bookmark or something. 
And then I found it on Pinterest. Yes, I do look at Pinterest. <laughs> so, and a, a company called King's Way or something like that. But these symbols, I really think, help us to understand the overall storyline of the kingdom. The first arrow down is Jesus has come. He came. Cross, he died. It was empty tomb. He was raised again. He ra rose from the dead. The arrow up is he ascended to heaven. And the arrow down, he's coming back to earth one day. Okay? Before this, we have the Old Testament, before the first arrow, we have the Old Testament prophets. And then in Matthew 1, 1 to 17, as Jesse shared with us, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and even the promise that goes into the, the deportation or the exile into Babylon, leading up to Matthew 1, 18, where Jesus is born. The, the king has come and is now among us. So, Matthew 1, 18, all the way to Matthew 26, 31, we're between the arrow and the cross, the ministry of Jesus. Picking up at Matthew 26, 32, basically to the end of Matthew, we have his death and resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then we have to jump to Acts chapter 1 to pick up his ascension. And then between then uh, this arrow and that arrow is where we're at right now. And something big happened in between here and here that has enabled us to be part of this message, and that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. We sang about it in the song. And now we take this baton, and this message has been declared by God from all creation. God didn't react to Adam and Eve falling in the garden. I don't know what am I going to do. This, this was planned before all creation. And here we are in this day and age, and we get to be part of that. The heart of God's people has longed for his presence and his reign, but has failed to fully see the two aspects or two-natured aspect of this kingdom. The Jewish mind at the time of Jesus was that the Messiah would come and that the arrows, uh, the, um, and that he would reign right then and there. They, they were combining this one with this one and forgetting everything in between. He's going to come. He's going to reign. It's going to happen right now. Even the disciples didn't understand this. They're always asking, well, when's this, when's it, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Many during that time rejected Jesus because they didn't understand this. Jesus uh, had fed 5,000. He told them he was the bread of life and, and, and that if they really wanted life, they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood and it turned them away. And he said even to them that you're just coming because you, you're getting food. You're not coming from the heart. Judas is a prime example. Again, we don't know exactly what was going on in his mind, but his misunderstanding of the kingdom fueled his darkened heart to betray Jesus and then in hopelessness take his own life. And as I said, the disciples are often asking Jesus about the timing of his kingdom. When he was crucified, they thought the plan had failed. But then they saw him gloriously resurrected, and then Jesus commissioned them in Matthew 28 with taking this gospel to the world. And he told them he would be the, with them always, even to the end of the age. There's the presence of the king, the now aspect of the kingdom. Until he comes again in glory, the kingdom not yet. But still they didn't understand it. Because in Acts 1, they're saying, now is the time? And they said, 
He said, now it's, it's not for you to know the time. You go back and wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and you're going to be my witnesses. And then he ascends, and they stand, and they look, and they look, and they look. And all of a sudden, two angels are standing next to him. I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I'd be down on the ground <laughs> from fear. <laughs> if you ask Dawn or Mackenzie or Matthew, they'll tell you that I scare quite easily, and it's quite funny around our house. But the angels say, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up, taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's going to come again, and you're going to know it, and you're going to see it. And as I mentioned, the space between that day and now, the Holy Spirit came to indwell every believer, to empower every believer, to follow Jesus, and to, to speak forth this message, to take the baton of this message to the world. So the kingdom, the kingdom reigns in the presence of his king, of the king, and the king is in us now, and the king is coming again. Our instructions are the same as theirs were, only we already possess the Holy Spirit as believers and the power to live for him and be his witnesses. When that message reaches all the nations, then the consummation of the kingdom will occur with Jesus' bodily return in power and glory. Jesus said that in Matthew 24, 14. Between Matthew, or Malachi and Matthew, there was a silence of about 400 years. Then the king was born. He's here, right? Now, between Matthew 2 and 3, we have another time of silence. This time, about 30 years. What was everyone thinking during that time? Those who believed Jesus was the king. What about the wise men when they came? Or what about the shepherds? Here's the king, but then nothing's happening for almost 30 years. Has God forgotten his promises? Where is this kingdom? Why hasn't the king taken his throne? Silence. I remember one time uh, when I was a young boy, my dad was disciplining me for something. I don't recall what it was right now. But he told me, you sit in this chair. He put a chair right next to his recliner. He says, you sit here and you don't move until I tell you. I said, okay. So I sat in that chair. My dad sat in his recliner. He put up the footrest. He leaned back, and my dad fell asleep. And I'm pretty sure he was asleep for close to two hours. And I just sat there in silence. Silence can be deafening. And in silence, our mind, we let our minds wander. In silence, we can fret and act on our fears. But God calls us to wait on him and trust in him and keep our eyes on him, even when he seems silent. But God speaks into the silence. And we come to our passage in Matthew 3. The king comes for his people in the wilderness. And we start with the announcement through John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we see here, John the Baptist links the old-fashioned, or the Old Testament, not old-fashioned, Old Testament salvation story line with the new. He has taken the baton of the kingdom message of the gospel of the coming king from the prophets. He's running ahead of the king to prepare the way for his arrival. Now, John might seem a little bit strange at first. You look at his clothing and his food, his diet, his, car his garments of camel hair and a belt of leather. Doesn't sound too comfy, especially in the wilderness where I'm sure it was hot. But this would have evoked images of Elijah, who in 2 Kings 1.8 is said to be wearing a garment, a, a garment of hair and a belt of leather. John fulfills the prophecies about the messenger who prepares the way and about Elijah coming before the great day of the Lord. He is sent to make way for the coming of the king. He was prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, Malachi 3, 1, and 4, 5 to 6. But how about his food? And this is where we all like to have some fun. Locusts and wild honey. Now imagine you said, hey kids, we got invited to John the Baptist's house for dinner. We're going to go, and I do not want any of you to complain about any of the food that he gives you. And nobody says, ooh. But if you don't like it, we'll stop for pizza on the way home. <laughs> so... So anyway, but oddly enough, this diet was common in that day and age for, for those who dwelt in the wilderness. But yeah, it would take a lot of wild honey to make those locusts taste good, I think. <laughs> but he comes to Israel. John the Baptist comes to Israel in the wilderness, a, a reference to the wanderings of the nation and their rejection of God as their king. But he comes offering hope in spite of their rebellious ways. And John's message is repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to change one's mind. Just like I was on that diving board or platform walking one way, I turned, saw the boy, I turned and went the other way. Repentance is, the Bible talks about us going our own way. The Bible says to repent. Quit going your own way. You're being your own king. You are trying to be the Lord of your own life apart from Christ. And he says you repent of that and you turn and you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the true King of kings and Lord of lords, and you follow him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. What does that mean? The kingdom has come, and the king is here. Something that is at hand is present. It's close. It's, the time has arrived. And the kingdom necessitates the presence of the king, and he is here, John is saying. This is the hope that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. It has now come true. It is now realized the kingdom is now. He is the hope that Abraham was promised in Genesis 12. In Romans 
Paul says, in hope, against hope, Abraham believed. It's incredible. The promise that was made to Abraham, that from him would come numerous, innumerable children through faith. Jesus, the son of Abraham, is here. In verses 5 to 10, we see two groups of people. We see receivers and rejectors. We see receivers who humble themselves and repent, and the rejectors who are haughty and don't repent. And it is humbling to admit that we are sinners going our own way and that we need to repent and rely on someone else for our salvation. But that is exactly what the Scripture calls us to do. There is no hope of forgiveness apart from Jesus the King. And John is calling them to look away from themselves and to look to the King for their salvation. And it's interesting to note that the religious leaders, they're rejecting this message. The ones who should know, the ones who study the Scripture. They would call themselves the son of Abraham, the sons of Abraham, but John calls them out and says, you are so blind. You have no idea. You think you're the sons of Abraham, but the true son of Abraham that was promised to Abraham is here, and you are blind to him. Maybe this is what John's referring to when he says, God is able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. The promise to Abraham that innumerable children will be born through him is realized in coming of Jesus, the rock of ages. In verses 11 to 12, the receivers of the good news will be baptized into the family of God by Jesus Christ himself. And the rejectors will be baptized with the fire of judgment. As believers in Jesus, we have been given his Holy Spirit. We have an eternal hope, and he has baptized us by his Holy Spirit into his kingdom. And as we read in Colossians 1.27, that king now lives in us, and he is the hope of glory. Kingdom now, kingdom not yet. And then we move on to verses 13 to 17, the anointing through baptism. Now John comes face to face with the king that he's been proclaiming. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove <clears throat> and coming, <clears throat> excuse me, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here, Jesus identifies with his people through the waters of baptism. And God identifies Jesus as the forever king. Here's the one who John just said baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John says, you're going to baptize me? And you can see how he would, he would question Jesus this way. But Jesus tells him that this is the way of fulfilling all righteousness. 
to make things right with God, to bring about complete obedience to God, to fulfill all of God's commandments. He does this for his people by identifying with his people. His people have need of repentance for their sins. His people have need of baptism. And Jesus identifies himself with sinful Israel and with all sinful mankind. He identifies himself as one of his people when he came to a manger. He was identified with his people's exodus from Egypt when after being forced to flee to Egypt because of Herod's slaughter, he was then called out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And as his people went into the wilderness out of Egypt, so now he comes to them in the wilderness, and now he identifies with his people in their own sinfulness and inability to keep the commands of God in the wilderness. In the wilderness, God gave his people commandments out of his love for them, and they were called to keep them out of their love for him and for their own blessing. And they are recorded in Deuteronomy 6 to 8. And we'll see next week when Jesus went to battle for his people in the temptation from Satan and battling Satan. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6 to 8 in each and every temptation. But Deuteronomy 6.25 sums up what their response should have been. He says, and it will be righteousness for us. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. They, of course, did not keep his commandments, and thus they didn't have a righteousness of their own. But Jesus, on behalf of his people, did keep all of God's commandments and thus fulfilled all righteousness. And then he died to pay the penalty for all the sins committed by them and for all of us. For neither have we kept God's commandments. But through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven and given his perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yes. Our righteousness with God, our right standing before God is totally dependent on the King of Kings. Now he's brought into the water and when he comes back up, the heavens are opened and the Spirit of God descends upon him and the voice of God the Father speaks forth his identification of his beloved Son. The triune God has spoken. Here we see Jesus, the son of David. For David was anointed king by God through the prophet Samuel. Here Jesus is anointed the king by God through the prophet John the Baptist. He is identified by the father as his beloved son and as the kingly Messiah or the anointed one. And as the anointed king, he will go to battle for his people, just as King David did for his people. In the Old Testament, the kings went to war. They led the armies out. But as as the forever king, Jesus will not fail where David failed. Jesus kept God's commands from start to finish. And notice he says that the father is well pleased with Jesus. It's because of this, because the Father is well pleased with Jesus, 
that believers in Jesus, those who the scripture says are in Christ Jesus, who the king dwells in, we can now know that God is well pleased with us. I remember uh, several years ago I went on a a leadership uh, retreat to Gettysburg with uh, Campus Crusades military ministry. It was awesome. And the man who led it, Jay Lorenzen, would take us around to different parts of the battlefield and tell us what happened there. And and then he would bring in a spiritual principle, a leadership principle. But of all the things, and I don't even remember the connection that he made with this passage to battle, but of all the things that he shared, the thing that stuck in my head, you know how you have one truth that sticks in your head and it kind of goes with you, was this thought. He said, because the Father is well pleased with Jesus, he is well pleased with you. I just found such freedom in that. We need to remember that. We don't have to earn our way. Even as Christians, we're going to fall short. We've got to confess it and just keep looking to King Jesus. And God the Father is well pleased with him. He is well pleased with us. <clears throat> God's pleasure for his son Jesus is extended to all those who belong to Jesus. So what do we learn from John the Baptist? <clears throat> we are all sinners in need of a kingly Messiah to save us from our sins. None of us can save ourselves. Jesus Christ is the kingly Messiah, the perfect Son of God, and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's message is to repent. Turn from going your own way and look to Jesus alone for your salvation. John pointed people to Jesus. He looked to Jesus and he pointed people to Jesus. And I think that's kind of a neat little illustration of discipleship. We look to Jesus and we point others to Jesus. Or as we, as we have said here at KBC, we are following Jesus by growing Jesus' followers. So the king has come for his people in the wilderness. I want to finish with just bringing this in with dwelling on this. Wherever you're at today with God, <clears throat> dwell on this thought that the king of kings... The eternal king has come for you personally. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to be left in the muck and the mire of the wilderness of life. And Jesus has, in, has identified himself with you in your sinfulness, and he has taken his, your sin upon himself at the cross. Look to Jesus. And have you repented of your sin? If you're here and you haven't, if you haven't truly placed your faith in Christ, and you're still going your own way, Turn and look to him in childlike faith to save you. Look to King Jesus, the Messiah and Savior for your sins. Because there is a now and a not yet dynamic to this kingdom, there's still time today to turn and run to him and come into his kingdom. If you do this, you can be sure the king will come to you. He will come to dwell in you and secure your forever place in his forever kingdom. And brothers and sisters in Jesus, right here, right now, Let's really think on this, that we are right in this moment in the kingdom of the King of Kings, and he dwells in us, in us individually and in us corporately. And I would urge us to continue to look to him in our every moment of life. Every single moment becomes a, a kingdom moment. And I point you to him to continue to follow him, and please keep pointing me to him as well. 
follow him. Let's follow him with all we are. Let's commit ourselves to spending time with him in the word and in prayer. And that's where we really see him, where we experience him, is, is, is spending time with him. And take the baton of this good news of the kingdom to our spheres of influence. God has gifted each of us individually differently than everybody else, but together we work as a unit. And he's given each of us spheres of influence to take this message to point people to Jesus, to the King of Kings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, amazed at this incredible story, this true story of the King of Kings, planned and formulated by you before all creation. We don't understand it all. Some of it is still mysterious to us. Some of it still makes us scratch our heads. We can't figure it all out. But we, what we do know, we can bank our lives on, and that is that the King of Kings has come into the wilderness of our lives. He's come to the wilderness of this world. He identified with us in our sinfulness, and yet he was without sin. And then he lived an absolutely perfect life, and then he went to the cross that we deserved and died the death that we deserved. We are amazed at that, and, and <clears throat> right now we are waiting for him to return. There is still time for the people around us that don't know you to repent and to look to Jesus. God, would you give us a sense of urgency, a sense of desire to see every moment in our lives transformed into a kingdom moment, <clears throat> to have an ever-present ever, uh, uh, awareness of the presence of the King of Kings in us and to look to him for all that we need and all that we are and to point others to him. We thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.